Well, I've been around the church for um, about eight years now, and um, it's just interesting when you have this opportunity to preach and um, what people say to you when you have these opportunities. You know, one person said, um, don't use too many big words. And uh, somebody else said, just uh, Phil said, well, we'll have, just watch the time, don't go too long. We'll have someone down the front with a bell. You got the bell, Phil? Yep. My wife said, can you, can you do it? Because I asked her, is it okay if I do this? She said, sure, as long as you don't sing. Uh, so I guess I've got probably one of those things right tonight. I won't be singing. But I have to thank Sandy for that, those songs there because until we got that bit about I Surrender All, I was actually sort of more focused on getting up and walking that way, but this, the songs encouraged me to come up the steps, so that was very good. Tonight we're speaking about, I'm speaking about uh, the individual's greater identity, and this is the first in a series of uh, messages about the church. And um, I was saying to Jonathan before that, you know, I've sort of thought about, Phil, Phil gave me some, the title and he gave me some instructions and what you should do and uh, where I'm headed with this. And now that I've turned it all over in my mind and I've written this sermon up and <clears throat> he said to me, you know, it's great you're doing this, Larry, because you're the last person we could ask. And... Um, there's nobody else. Uh, but anyway, never mind that. But he, um, now I've done that, I'm, <clears throat> I'm just not sure if I've actually answered the question. But anyway, we'll see what comes of it. Um, so the, the new series is titled The Church, Shaping Culture and Not Being Shaped. And Phil um, has given me this title, The Individual's Greater Identity. And so I guess the point I want to make tonight uh, out of this, because we, we're looking at, he's asked to look at me to look at individualism as an idea, as a concept in our society as well. That's one of the things I had to explain, so I'll try and do that for you. But um, the point I want to make tonight, I suppose, is that if we ask the question, what is the individual's greater identity, then the answer we're going to give is the church. And it's uh, something we need to sort of think about as we talk about the body of Christ, because we can talk about each individual following Christ, and we can talk about being Christ-like or standing up for Christ, but when we want to see the full expression of our Christian individuality and our identity, uh, we need to sort of see us engaged in being the church, the body of Christ. And I think today we face problems with understanding that identity um, because there are influences and messages in, uh, in our society that weaken our resolve to fully be uh, and fully commit to being the church. Jesus said he wanted his followers to be in the world but not of the world. We are to live in the world and not be, be shaped by it. Uh, and one of the messages that is shaping our culture is individualism. So I need to spend a little bit of time tonight looking at the impact that that might have on us. And I want to reaffirm the importance of the individual's resolve to actively be involved as a member of the body of Christ. And so as I'm working my way through... I'll be looking at, uh, trying to look at four areas. I'll let you know what they are just so you can sort of measure how much time's left for the sermon. Because you know how sometimes a, 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 someone speaks for 25 minutes, then they go, well, that's my first point, and then you know they've got four more points uh, to go, you know that it's going to be fairly late. And I, I realise I've got an extra hour of sunlight to actually uh, <laughs> use up tonight, so I know that that won't be a problem. But <clears throat> I will be uh, thinking, talking about thinking about thinking, which is a bit of a scary thing, like in a, in a message... And uh, I know that uh, probably some of the, uh, I can see one of my uh, 
people who works at the school with me, and I can see they're probably worried about this title already because they've had enough of me talking about these things at school. Um, I'm going to talk about the autonomy of the individual. Sorry about the big word, but I'm sure you, most of you will know what that means. Uh, the source of individualism, and then at the end of that, I'm going to talk about some points of tension between individualism and the church and try and just sort of look at something. And, of course, this is not comprehensive because once you get into thinking about things like how society thinks, how people think and philosophy, you can go for a long time in talking about these things. So I don't want to labour them too much, so it'll be a quick, hopefully, a quick rundown. Um, so one of the things we're talking about is the, uh, is the church shaping our thinking. And we shouldn't lose sight that uh, the fact is that the gospel that we, that, we, that we present, that is a part of you know, the, the biblical message to us, is that it's the gospel that produces the church and then the church uh, represents the gospel and it continues on. You have the gospel shaping the church and we, we need to keep that in sight. And the fact that, that the church is often described as the body of Christ and the individual Christians across the world make up uh, are one in Christ and one in the spirit. spirit. So there's an interconnectedness between all of these terms and so sometimes we can use one term and mean both. So the church should be a visible expression of the gospel as well as the bearer of the gospel. So because we're talking about the church, sometimes some of the things we could say, we could talk about the gospel. Uh, we could talk about Jesus. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's an interconnectedness between all these things. Uh, you know, in terms of thinking, it's important to know that many of you, you know, you've, um, you've been shaped by the church already. You've been coming for many years and it's affected the way you prioritise your decisions, you know, through the preaching of the word and through the church activities, the fellowship, prayer, Bible study. All of these things are a way of involving ourselves with other people, other Christians, discussing, uh, reflecting and changing our thinking. And so it's important to note that, you know, many of you have already been shaped. But, you know, I really think that tonight here we may have people who have not been substantially shaped by the church, but in actual fact they're still being shaped very much by the world. Because you can come to church and you can adopt activities uh, and you can um, even adopt the values and maybe the beliefs uh, from the church just through being involved. But we can do the same thing with the world. We can uh, be in the world and we can just adopt things, adopt ways of, of, of functioning, ways of thinking, without really thinking about it. And so we can end up in a situation where we have, um, we have some of our behaviours and some of our beliefs are shaped by the church and some are shaped by the world. And a large part of the New Testament is written because of that whole set of circumstances. The whole fact that you know, the apostles went out, preached a pure gospel message and left people with it. And then they moved on and then later on they had to write letters to say, hey, you guys, you're mixing in other stuff. And so people have come in, influences have come in, the world has changed the message that we left you with. So it's important to, um, to recognise that the world can shape uh, our thinking. Um, might be getting behind here, aren't I? I say this because one of the hardest things we can do is think about thinking. You know, when it comes to thinking, we all have presuppositions and assumptions. We make assumptions about life we grow up with them uh, and we just assume these things and they become like filters uh, that we use to assess what is true and what is false. And when it comes to being influenced in our thinking, we can be like in a culture like a fish is in the water, 
where we just swim around in it, uh, we don't think too critically about it, and we can maybe pay not too much attention to it. But it's an important topic because uh, thinking affects our transformation. And one of my favourite uh, passages of Scripture is Romans chapter 12, which says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the renewing of the mind is an essential part there of proving what the will of God is. And in Western culture, we're, there's no more important issue, I think, at the moment in how we receive and understand truth and what does it mean to think like a Christian. Because we can often uncritically be thinking certain ways uh, without really understanding why we make certain decisions and, and how we um, should act. So, as we use technology in our everyday use, you know, we, we are increasingly bombarded and we see how important speaking to the individual has become. Uh, we're now bombarded with information, you know, through the internet, through our mobile phones, through the television, all the time, and it wants to speak to you as an individual. And this is probably um, just a natural outworking of uh, democracy, you know, where when we operate in, in, a, in a democracy, there is, uh, with the political party system, there is a convincing of the individuals to vote along certain lines. And uh, this puts a party in power. And so the political process uh, is there for that purpose. And it begins with individuals. We all vote. Then we move to a group uh, with shared values. You might get the parties and people decide which party they're going to vote for. And then finally, at the national level, you know, you have the political parties, uh, the ones who do the deba debating, and, and so you reduce the number of voices that are in the process. But, you know, in that process, if you look at our society, um, it's probably true to say that not all people in uh, a political party agree on the topics, do they? And they have their own internal struggles. And people who vote for a party may not necessarily agree with everything the party stands for. And then as you go along, as we look at our general society, there's a moderation and acceptance by individuals of others' beliefs, and uh, so the important job may get done. And so you can see in, in a society, as the civil nature of democracy allows for pluralism, and we're surrounded by this thinking level, and uh, it's, it's an important one for us to have. But the thing we need to recognise is that in democracy there is a pluralism, but the church doesn't really allow for that. Uh, the church wants to see people coming to a unity of faith, to an understanding of Jesus Christ, and that we would all have his mind in us. And so it's not a matter of us having lots and lots of different pluralistic beliefs about God. It's actually coming to a unity of faith and a common understanding of Jesus. So when we think about how we operate in that decision-making process of democracy, we need to recognise that the church operates a bit differently, very differently. Um, there's also uh, one's understanding of the individual uh, in the way we see advertising. At the moment, there's a lot of advertising that uh, 
that you see that is quite interesting because it, it maybe doesn't mention what the product will do for you so much, but presents lots of images uh, that might reflect your dreams or your life goals. You've probably seen, uh, I think it might be um, <clears throat> an Star out, I'm not quite sure. But there, there's a bikey uh, in this ad and he, um, he's in a supermarket and he has handlebars on his trolley. And uh, as he goes along, all the products have nice graphics that are sort of bikey graphics. I don't know what they'd be, but anyway, they've sort of, you know, got these nice bikey graphics. And the checkout chick is dressed appropriately uh, as a bikey's chick. And then he goes home and he sits down on the couch and he's got his, his, his reclining couch there with his bikey handles again for his motorbike. And so this whole product is not just, a, not just saying to him, hey, uh, here's some good things for you that you need with this product, what, the, what, the, what they're trying to say there is that this product is going to recognise you for who you are. Uh, and so it's not about saying, well, this is a really useful thing to have at home. This product actually recognises you. It, 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 it says who you are. It's like on the internet, you know, we have uh, the very popular, isn't it now, YouTube. Uh, YouTube tells you it's all about you. Uh, and what's even better is MySpace, you see, because you can have your own space. Um, You'll notice that uh, <clears throat> there's a well-known department store that advertises itself as my store. Uh, and so right across the country, there's thousands and thousands of people going to my store. Um, and uh, it's, it's the way these things are now promoted. And so it's not the attention-grabbing technique or uh, you know, the, store, the, the crazy stunt in the ad or even the, the really annoying voices that you have, like the Red Bull ad, uh, ad drives me crazy. Um, it's not even the list of benefits to you. Uh, it's actually you that's important in this promotion of this, of this uh, thing. I saw a university ad the other night that had lots and lots of pictures and basically had your goals, uh, your future or something, your life. Uh, really didn't say what the university did, doesn't say what it does. It was all about your life in there. And so the advertising, what it's aiming at is presenting you with uh, images that you can attach your ideas about your life to so that you can begin to think that I am me when I have that. And so by, by you having that thing, you are being you. It's your individuality. Uh, it's an in interesting thing to start appealing to. But they're appealing to it because of the fact that we live in this me-centred world. And so this kind of advertising is really what I would say is for... Uh, the sovereign individual. Uh, the, when I say sovereign, you know, you know, I understand the term of a sovereign is a king or a queen. So this is where we're getting to the point where we are saying that the, that the individual is so, uh, so powerful, so in control of their own lives that they are you know, protected from any external influences. And so it's, uh, it's a time at this moment when your individuality has become not just about the particular attributes of you, but it's become individualistic and individualism where it's, uh, you make all the decisions and you have all the control. Uh, but the interesting thing, of course, is that for us, is that this, this sovereign nature of the human being is, um, is quite uh, opposed to what the Bible teaches uh, about the individual. And we'll talk about a bit more about that later on. Um, I think probably if we looked at um, individualism as philosophy, uh, we would get this. I looked up, uh, well, I looked up my, my dictionary 
And uh, it says in, in my dictionary that individualism is a social theory favouring freedom of action for individuals over collective or state control. And uh, that was nice and succinct. I actually looked it up on Wikipedia, on the internet, because that's what you do now. You always check that. And, <clears throat> and of course, their, their, um, uh, their definition was the result, of course, because it's a, like a public thing where lots of people can have a say. Theirs goes like this. Just take a moment while I read this too. <clears throat> it says, uh, individualism is the moral stance, political philosophy or social outlook that stresses independence to self-reliance. Individu individualists promote the exercise of one's goals and desires while opposing most external interference with one's choices, whether by society, the state or any other group or institution. And then they've got some more. Individualism is opposed to collectivism or statism which stress that communal, community, group, societal or national goals should take priority priority over individual goals. Individualism is also opposed to tradition, religion or any other form of external moral standard being used to limit an individual's choice of actions. And I won't read that again, you just have to take all that in. Uh, the interesting thing about that statement of course is that you know, when you get to those little phrases like individualism is, is also opposed to tradition, religion or any other form of external moral standard being used to limit an individual's choice of actions, um, that really starts to cut across the biblical teaching and so you get the message that individualism basically says don't bother me. It basically says go away. Uh, and um, it wants to establish this private world where nothing will touch the individual in terms of their moral beliefs, their choices, uh, what they do. Uh, so in the end, I would, I would summarise it like this. Individualism challenges God's sovereignty and seeks to establish man's autonomy. <clears throat> so we could probably do a bit of delving into history for a while here, but I won't, because we could spend a bit of time discussing the history of individualism uh, as a philosophical idea. But if you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles there, I'd really like to talk about the, you know, where we find probably the beginning of individualism. And so Genesis chapter 3, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, the NASB. And it says this. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you shall die. You will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate." Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And we could summarise, I think, the beginning of individualism because, you know, as a philosophy, it's been developed along the way. Various people have, have uh, had a say about it. But to me, it begins just there and it begins with a spin. It begins with a twist on God's truth. Uh, you see... In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, Satan, through the serpent, sets out to challenge God's sovereignty. Uh, when he puts a whole different spin on what God has said, uh, the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so basically Satan is saying, God has not told you the whole story. Whatever the effects of the fruit, the tree, the situation may be, uh, uh, Satan is saying there is a hidden truth that that God does not want you to know. And he sets Eve up so she begins thinking that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a tool of control that God is using. And so when we look at um, when we look at Genesis 3, we can see it's about disobedience. And we know that disobedience is a, a failure to obey rules or someone in authority. But I think underlying the disobedience that we need to see there is that disobedience occurs when we elevate our own understanding of the situation. Satan drew Eve in, saying that there's more here than what God has told you and seeks to establish a truth apart from the truth that God has given. And the underlying motivation, I think, behind us of disobedience is we elevate our own understanding of the situation. We elevate our own thinking and in that process we elevate our own personal truth we start to put ourselves in control. And so it's like the common you know, problems we have with driving cars, that you see uh, the, you know, ads about drink driving. We now have problems with people using mobile phones. We have problems with people falling asleep and, uh, and not stopping and uh, you know, driving for too long, uh, speeding. I mean, these people, I mean, do they do these things because they know that just around the corner there is an accident waiting uh, for them to, for, for, to happen? Is that why we do those things? Uh, no, I think we generally do it because we don't believe it will happen to us. We, we take all that, uh, all that advice, uh, we, we, we take the information, the data, the wise advice that people may give us, and we elevate our own framework of understanding above everything else. And uh, so in, in, in individualism, when we come to talking about truth, um, you know, truth becomes whatever we want because it becomes ours. And so it's very important for us to realise how we're thinking uh, in these areas, how we're establishing what we're doing. And the, um, the government departments that try to reduce fatalities, what they're trying to do is they're trying to change community attitudes. They're trying to way, change the way people think so they won't do those things. So the thinking and how you approach it, your attitude then affects all these things. And it's, it's the same for us when we come to the Word of God, when we come to the church. We need to make sure that we're thinking right. And so for Adam and Eve, life in the Garden of Eden moved from obedience leading to, per, to a perfect life in this perfect garden. It, it, instead of that, it became uh, the Garden of Eden became God's manipulative control uh, attempt to control them. And uh, so what they did was they shifted from a framework of truth, God's truth, what God had told them, and they moved to one where they said, uh, we'll elevate our own personal framework. You know, Satan was a part of that whole temptation, but he drew them into this, and, and this was, we're going to have a truth apart from God's truth. We won't, we'll reject that. And that's what leads to our disobedience. And uh, you can see that process, I'm sure, in, uh, in children, you know, where you tell them certain things and then they decide uh, not to do it. And um, or decide to do it, even though because they decide, well, it's okay if I um, 
you know, do this, whatever it might be, um, trying to jump off the trampoline onto the, onto the roof or something of the house and then breaking an arm. You know, I'm sure we're all aware of things that have happened like that. And so we, 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 you know, we just naturally, as human beings, have this problem where we want to elevate our own understanding. So we've got to be very careful that we don't start exchanging God's truth, what we see in Scripture, what we read in Scripture, for our own beliefs. Um, Modern philosophy, I suppose, has further damaged the whole situation by proliferating the view, and you're probably aware of this as you look around the world, that, uh, that um, not only is man autonomous, that is, man has, has total control of himself and, and, and total, well, his opinions are what count, um, but that, that in the area of morality and absolutes, there are no final truths. Uh, there's, uh, there's no final truths anymore, and this is what we're being told. Uh, and so not only can we elevate our own personal sense of truth, but we can actually, we can't actually be challenged. No one can challenge our own personal truth uh, because uh, there are no absolutes. And so you get this situation where there are no boundaries in, uh, in individualism. I think one of the other things that happens too is the truth has become irrelevant um, I, I received this, this is just a small snippet, from uh, an email bulletin uh, from a business site that, that has uh, business documents on it. And this is a little document that they sent out in their monthly bulletin. Uh, it was on ethics. And this is the ethics that they've sent out to me. It says, and probably to a lot of other people, it says, uh, this paper therefore does not set out to promote the telling of truth under all circumstances. Such a concept is obviously unrealistic, and unhelpful. Those in a position to adopt it are simply not having to deal with the realities of everyday life and are therefore promoting concepts that are moralistic, condescending, platitudinous and meaningless in their impact. Most people rightfully ignore such moralistic positions as irrelevant to their lives. And so, so truth has become a very rubbery thing that, uh, that, that is subject to our daily needs and the situations we find ourselves in. Because, you know, the uh, telling of the truth under all circumstances is just not appropriate. Uh, it's, not, not, it's not needed and it doesn't fit the reality we live in. Uh, so, um, the interesting thing about all this for us is that none of this really fits our biblical views. If we sit down and read the Bible properly, none of this fits our biblical views uh, the biblical view is that there are absolute truths that stand outside of our opinions. Belief and truth are not the same thing. And in the end, the right to believe anything does not mean that someone, what someone believes is right. Truth stands outside of our beliefs. So <clears throat> I come to my points of tension. So this is, you can sort of think we're counting down now. Almost done. The first point I'd like to make in all of this, I've tried to you know, explain individualism and maybe some cultural influences. Because as a church, we want to be shaping people. We want to be shaped by the gospel, shaped by the biblical truths. So my first point here is that I want to, this point of tension is the one of freedom versus formation. You see, what, what individualism is telling us is that we need to be free and have our own freedoms. 
be free from any interference. You remember the definition I gave you was just virtually free from everything, you know. No one else's morality, no one else's anything will interfere with what you believe. And if you read this scripture, uh, which is, I'm not quite sure if it's the one that Sandy actually chose, but it's very similar to the one that Sandy chose. Is it the one you had earlier on? You had a look, that was great. So Jesus said this, he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so God wants to form people and the church should be forming people. So individualism wants to form itself. It rejects all outside influences. And this is a strong message that you'll be getting all the time, in whether it's music, whether it's in art, whether it's in the uh, internet advertising, uh, whether it's in, uh, you'll find in, in movies, you'll find all sorts of things, you know, where you get the, uh, uh, you know, you'll see this... Um, Unfortunately, my daughter is, you know, uh, as many of you know, is autistic and she has this obsession with home and away, so <clears throat> we watch it every night. And, uh, and there are some godless viewpoints on that show and it's just interesting how the teenagers are able to encourage their parents uh, in life and put them on the right track, um, which, uh, you know, there's lots of things that are happening on there that uh, are interesting. And you get the, often get the message about just follow your dreams, just do it. Just, just go for it. And uh, it is just bombarded on that show. And uh, you will just uh, get lots and lots of messages like that. But of course, we have the concept of discipleship, uh, which is where the Christian grows more and more to be like Christ and learns what it is to deny him or herself, take up the cross and follow Christ. The disciple of Christ is not interested in his own opinions or desires, but is seeking to become Christ-like in his character, uh, to make decisions that honour Christ, and all of this is to be consistent with what the Bible teaches. The disciple is seeking to lose his life so he can gain it, not form himself so he can have it. So there's little room for, for the individual to be individualistic in his approach to life. And it's interesting, when you read passages like Romans 6, 15-19, it says this, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart so that that form of, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. <clears throat> so notice in that passage that there's two options. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness. There's no autonomous position in the middle that gives you any freedom. You can't establish your own sense of thinking, your, your own personal morality, your own decisions 
There is no spot in the middle. And so Paul is quite clearly stating it. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. So there's no autonomy for us. Uh, And so it's important for us to understand that that is our choice. That we don't go around thinking that, uh, you know, mobile phones and internet and MySpace and all those things, they are giving me my freedom. That's my my world or whatever it is, whether it's, it's football or whether it's a sport or whether it's whatever you do, there's no autonomous position where you can establish your own personal space. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. There's nothing in between. Another point of tension is the living, I put this as living on an island versus living in a community. You remember the, the uh, definition of individualism just about rejects everything and all sorts of influences. Uh, it, it's a concept of just me as the sovereign king and I'm in charge and, and of course there's billions of sovereigns in this world then because if we're all sovereign, if we're all the king or queen of our lives, well then you know, we're all very individualistic, aren't we? All, all individuals. And if you look at this passage, Jesus uh, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And the clergyman, John Don, who lived in the 16th century, uh, made this famous statement. He said, No man is an island entire of self. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. When we look at the teaching of Scripture, we see that there is an unavoidable connection between the believer and the brethren. The connection to the brethren is a commandment of Christ himself. It involves love, it involves laying down one's life. Self-sacrifice is undeniably one of the central themes of the Christian life. And it doesn't allow for individualistic modification. Uh, it can't be adjusted. And Jim Elliot uh, put it very well when he said, he said he's not, uh, Jim Elliot, who was... Um, a missionary, and uh, killed as a missionary, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep uh, to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh, the final point of tension I'd like to talk about too is individualism versus individuality. You see, I think individuality needs a reference point and uh, you might think you're really intelligent and, and, and you might know this because at school you might know you're really intelligent because you got the highest marks on all the tests. But you only know that because you know all the other marks, maybe, and you know that you, you, got, you were the top one. I mean, there's a reference point there. Uh, if you're alone on an island, you could do as many tests as you like, but unless you know that somebody else failed the test, you wouldn't know how intelligent you were. And so individuality uh, needs a reference point. You are all individuals with your own makeup, but you only know that because you know someone different to yourself. And so if we think about individualism, it actually separates us from our individuality. It actually makes us, uh, puts us into a closed island where we only know about ourselves. And I think individuality, if you think about it, it needs a reference point. You know, and you see that expressed in the church all the, all the time because some people are good I think uh, Mandy was talking this morning about gifts and talking about some people are good uh, at administration. You know, she has administrative skills, but somebody else might be a musician. Somebody else might uh, be a great gardener. You know, somebody else, uh, we've had people working here on the buildings. uh, And so we know that people 
as individuals, do different things. And that tells us that we're individuals. When you, once you shut yourself off, like an individualism says, you then lose your whole sense of purpose. And I should read that verse for you, which says, because um, Paul said, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, uh, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For, one, for by one spirit we're all baptised in one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. So we need a reference point. And just in summary, this is what I'd say. <clears throat> I guess I would see, <coughs> excuse me, just so I get this right. <clears throat> I would see individualism as a drug. <clears throat> it holds all the promise of a really good time that will fully expand your mind, take you beyond yourself and give you ultimate freedom. But it actually enslaves you to short-term fixes of momentary euphoria when you, through indulging in your own framework of truth creation, you feel like you are king or queen of all you survey, but it leaves you with no point of reference to be able to determine if your life actually means anything at all. Uh, not only are we then doomed to a life of shallowness, uh, where visits to the shopping mall can brighten our day because we were able to choose the colour of our new toothbrush. But the church is weakened because people can no longer respond appropriately to the word of God because they do not hear it the way God said it. You see, once you, once you <clears throat> maintain your presuppositions and assumptions without actually thinking about them, then you start to filter everything. Everything you hear gets filtered. And so you'll hear the word of God and you'll start filtering it yourself. You'll start saying, well, what do I think about that? Uh, you know, that's asking me to do something. But hang on, I might be able to think about that for a bit longer and I might have to do it because I have my own points of view about these things. And so we have to be very careful that we don't start filtering everything. And the thing is that individual, individualism eventually leads to meaninglessness because, you see, it's the church that leads to purpose. When we think about that verse of the Paul, Paul, that I read before of Paul, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we're all baptised into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if you read that passage, it goes on. You know, there's a certain fatalism about this passage that tells us whether we like it or not. Our identity and our purpose and our whole meaning for life is expressed within the church and it's expressed within the body of Christ. It's not our choice about this. If we belong to Jesus, we belong to the church. We can stand up and say, I'm not part of the body, but sorry, it doesn't make any difference. You just might not be coming along and engaging in it, but you are part of the body. We're separately connected to Christ and to one another. We're called into unity around Christ uh, and we're called to become like him and adopt his mind, his attitude, his thinking. 
So our individuality is expressed through our connection with the church community as we serve each other with the personality and gifting that God gives to us. So, uh, where are you tonight, I suppose, is the question, isn't it? Uh, Are you developing a love for the brethren? Do you feel a part of the body? Uh, Or, in really modern terms, do you feel like you are receiving a service? Uh, as though you're a customer of the church so that, you know, you've come and your needs and your opinions need to be, need to be dealt with, need to be responded to. Uh, you might have another sense where the church is just a compartment in your life. It's one of the pieces of the jigsaws, the whole set of truths that you've developed in your life. And so as you form that jigsaw, the church fits just uh, here, and that's where, that's where it stays. It's a part of your life. It's a nice controlled section. Um, and you set aside certain amounts of time. You know, you come to church. Um, you might uh, help on uh, a team in the church, in the service, in serving the church in some way. You may have a small group. But then the rest of the time is yours. Uh, because, well, this is just your little structure of life, isn't it? And so everything else you do is, is your own time. Um, it's important for us to really think these, three, these things through because if we, don't, uh, if we don't come to the church in the right way, then we're not going to have a strong church. Uh, we're not um, going to have a strong sense of, of our unity, our oneness, and we're not going to have a song, strong sense of actually uh, life's meaning or even your individuality. Your individuality is, is expressed in your connection with the body of Christ. So I'd ask you, I guess, to uh, prayerfully consider uh, the impact that the world's philosophy of individualism may be having on you. And as you think through this series, as you come along, uh, there'll be other messages about how we don't want the culture to shape us. We want to be shaping the culture. We want the gospel to be shaping the world around us. We want uh, God's love um, his commandments, uh, his, his truth to be flowing out of here and changing the world around us, not being impacted by the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and uh, just for your word to us. And Father, I just pray that uh, tonight my words have been acceptable to you. And Lord, as we think about your word and how it should reach into our lives, how it should change us, and reach in and and affect our church and shape us. We just pray, Father, that we can examine ourselves, examine how we think. We can allow the Spirit of God to lead us and to illuminate our thinking, to illuminate the Word of God in our lives, and that we can be changed and become the people of God uh, who serve you and serve your kingdom and, and spread your kingdom. And so we just pray, Father, that you would be blessing us and guiding us Uh, as we live to serve you in this body of Christ here in Wodonga. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.